Is the Silicon Valley tech migration creating a unique investment opportunity in downtown San Jose's Opportunity Zones? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Today's episode is a condensed audio recording of a live Opportunity Zone Investing Series webinar sponsored by Urban Catalyst on August 27th, titled Opportunity Zone Investing in Silicon Valley. For the complete version of this webinar in video format, and to learn more about how you can present your OZ fund or deal to the Opportunity DB network in a future webinar like this one, head over to opportunitydb.com webinars. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jimmy Atkinson, founder of the Opportunity Zones database at opportunitydb.com and host of the Opportunity Zones podcast. And welcome to today's webinar, Opportunity Zone Investing in Silicon Valley. Today's webinar is sponsored by Urban Catalyst. And I'm pleased to be joined by Urban Catalyst's founder and managing partner, Eric Hayden. And I'll bring in Eric in just a moment here. But first, uh, some of the things that Eric and I will be discussing today include the investment opportunity that the tech migration currently underway in Silicon Valley provides for geographically focused Opportunity Zone projects in downtown San Jose. We'll also discuss the Silicon Valley job engine driven by Google and Adobe, among many others, Uh, real estate supply and demand in San Jose's Opportunity Zones, and in particular, real estate market trends and construction trends in the wake of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, We'll also discuss uh, toward the end of Eric's presentation, he's got details on his seven urban catalyst downtown San Jose projects, all located within Opportunity Zones. And then most importantly, we'll uh, discuss how you can incorporate this type of investment into your investment portfolio. Uh, So now it's my pleasure to introduce today's speaker, Eric Hayden. He is founder and managing partner at Urban Catalyst. Eric, please take it away. Hey, thank you so much, Jimmy, and thank you everyone uh, for joining us today. Really excited uh, to be presenting to you. You know, obviously with any presentation like this, we have disclosures and risk factors. So I wanted to go through those just briefly. Uh, You know, Urban Catalyst, we are a real estate equity fund that is focused on ground up real estate development in San Jose, California. Uh, We're also an opportunity zone fund which is of course uh, why we're talking with Jimmy today. And you know, being an Opportunity Zone Fund, that makes it possible for us to give our investors the tax benefits associated with the Opportunity Zone Program. Today, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Opportunity Zone Program itself. You know, what are the tax benefits? You know, how do you qualify for them? I'm gonna talk about why San Jose, you know, why is Urban Catalyst doing business in San Jose? Why is now the time to do ground up real estate development? I'm going to go through specifically our portfolio of seven projects, a very diversified portfolio. So we'll go into a lot of detail with each of those. And then finally, I'll talk about our team and our experience uh, as developers and fund managers. All right. Thank you, Eric. And before you move on, I do want to interrupt you real quick. I want to throw up this first poll question for our audience. Uh, As you know, the Opportunity Zones incentive is a capital gain incentive. So if you're going to invest in an Opportunity Zone fund, 
you need to have a capital gain in order to take advantage of the tax benefits. So we wanted to know what is the source or sources of your capital gain? And you can select more than one here. We want to know if it's from the stock market, maybe, or from real estate, or maybe you sold a business or a little less common. Maybe you've got some collectibles, some gold, some jewelry, some art, or maybe even Bitcoin or other crypto assets. And we're going to end the poll now and I will share the results. And we do have uh, more than two thirds of our respondents saying that they do have capital gains from publicly traded securities, the stock market primarily, I would imagine, through the holdings of stocks, bonds, ETFs, mutual funds. Uh, half of the people in the room also have capital gains from real estate. And then a fair amount, about a third of our folks here today, privately held business. Um, and non-zero answers from collectibles and, and Bitcoin as well. So that's interesting. A little, little bit of everything. Does that surprise yeah. you, Eric? Or is, is that about what you expected to see? Jimmy, I mean, this is almost exactly what I expected to see. That is almost the exact profile of the over 150 investors we have in our fund right now. Uh, stocks leads the way, followed by real estate, and then the sale of a business. So uh, interesting that uh, the market is exactly what we thought it was. There you go. All right. Well, Eric, please continue. I'll try not to interrupt you too much more going forward here. Sure. Uh, so, you know, really before I get started into everything, I want to show everyone, you know, we've been featured in the press quite a bit in the last 18 months. We've had over 100 news articles written about us, just getting a lot of positive buzz about what we're doing in downtown San Jose. But what I'm most excited about is we were recognized by Forbes magazine as one of the top 20 Opportunity Zone funds in the country. And that was, you know, out of over 100 applicants really just national validation from Forbes that we're doing things the right way. So in order to get the tax benefits associated with the Opportunity Zone program, you have to have eligible capital gains. You know, we just went through this with the poll. There are three primary types of capital gains events, uh, the sale of stock, the sale of a business, the sale of real estate. Uh, we call investors that invest in our fund, they have, it's an event-driven investment where, they have to have a capital gains event in order to receive the tax benefits. So if you have one of these events and you invest into an opportunity zone fund within 180 days of that event, great, you're eligible for the tax benefits. Uh, there are three primary benefits. The first is you're able to defer paying your capital gains taxes for six years. So you really don't have to pay taxes on that capital gains event until April of 2027. Uh, when you pay your taxes in 2027, you get a 10% discount. So for every $100 that you would have owed in taxes, you only have to pay $90. You know, these two uh, benefits are really what is initially what people think about, think about investing into an Opportunity Zone Fund. It's kind of what they get interested in. But it's really the third benefit that is the biggest benefit. And that is after investors' money seasons in our fund for 10 years, our plan is to sell all of our assets, uh, liquidate the fund, and return all of those profits to our investors tax-free from a federal capital gains perspective. So those are the big three benefits for investing into an Opportunity Zone fund. There are other benefits, uh, smaller ones, and we'll go through those uh, in later slides. So to give everyone just a, an overview of the Bay Area, um, here in green, we have the Opportunity Zones that are located in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, you know, there's census tracts and in general, lower income census tracts. San Francisco received 11, Oakland received 28, and San Jose received 11. 
Here's a close up of the San Jose Opportunity Zones. You can see almost all of downtown San Jose is covered by four census tracts that are opportunity zones. You know, what's interesting here at Urban Catalyst, when I formed the company in 2018, my plan was to form a real estate equity fund and do ground up development in downtown San Jose. And I wanted to start this company because I saw the overall macroeconomic trends throughout Silicon Valley really pointing towards downtown San Jose as the next place to really do ground up development on a large scale. And it was only after I started forming Urban Catalyst that I learned about the Opportunity Zone program and thought, boy, everywhere where I'm planning to do development anyway is already in the Opportunity Zone. I might as well give my investors the tax benefits associated with this program. So really that's how Urban Catalyst became an Opportunity Zone Fund. In downtown San Jose, you know, we've been, we've been developers uh, for quite some time throughout our entire careers doing development all over the Bay Area. And in downtown San Jose, we have the three things present that we look for whenever we do development anywhere. And I'm gonna go through those really. The first is we wanna see a demand for all of the different types of projects that we're building. And that demand in downtown San Jose is really driven by the Silicon Valley job engine. We want to have transit and physical infrastructure already in place. You know, downtown San Jose is the only true urban environment in Silicon Valley. Uh, downtown San Jose has Deardon Station, which is slated to be the largest train station on the West Coast. It already has multiple modes of mass transit that connect to it, including Caltrain, and very shortly here, uh, BART. BART is the medium gauge rail system that goes throughout the Bay Area. It's fully funded to connect through downtown San Jose to Deardon Station over the next several years. Uh, San Jose State University, well, you really can't talk about downtown San Jose without talking about San Jose State because it's located right in the heart of downtown. Uh, with over 35,000 students, San Jose State is the second largest university in the Bay Area behind Cal Berkeley. And a little known fact about San Jose State is that Apple and Google hire more engineers from San Jose State University than any other college in the country. Finally, and most importantly, uh, we want to do business in places where the local government wants to see development happen. And that is absolutely the case in downtown San Jose. You know, it's quite a challenge to get your building permits in California. But in downtown San Jose, they've made that process streamlined and extremely easy so that you have clarity going through the process. And this picture here is a picture of my partner, Josh, and I were with the mayor of San Jose, Sam Licardo. Uh, he's been the mayor for six years. Before that, he was the council member representing downtown San Jose for eight years. And it's really the policies that he's put into place that make development uh, so much easier in the downtown area. Now, when I talked about those macroeconomic trends pointing to downtown San Jose as the next place to do development, what I'm talking about is the tech migration in Silicon Valley. <clears throat> I always like this slide because everyone knows that Silicon Valley, you know, has a lot of technology companies, but when you see just how many companies have their headquarters or a major office presence here, it's just really impressive. Uh, for this example, I'm specifically going to talk about what we call the FANG companies. That's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. You know, over the last 10 to 15 years, these companies have just been growing at an enormous rate. And they've come to realize something, which is it's very difficult for their employees to afford to live here in the Bay Area. We have some of the most expensive housing in the world. 
Um, you could call Palo Alto the center of the Silicon Valley universe. The average housing price in Silicon Valley or in uh, Palo Alto is two and a half million dollars. And Facebook, who pays their employees very well, the average Facebook employee, it would take them 28 years to save up a down payment to buy a house in Palo Alto. So most of them don't live in Palo Alto. They live here in San Jose or just south of, of downtown, and they commute to Palo Alto to work. You know, it's only 15 miles from San Jose to Palo Alto, but in traffic, that can take an hour to an hour and a half. And even though you know, these companies have their own private bus systems with Wi-Fi, they're seeing that they lose you know, efficiency with having their employees on a bus for two to three hours a day. And you know, those employees, they don't wanna be on a bus for two to three hours a day. The, the new millennial tech employees, you know, they wanna ride their mountain bikes to work. So in the competition amongst these tech companies to get the best talent, having a headquarters where it's closer to where they live is important. So all of these companies have embraced what we call a decentralized headquarters strategy. And in the last 10 years, they've made a big movement towards where their employees live, uh, acquiring office and developing new office in the city of Sunnyvale. Uh, Sunnyvale development has just been going like gangbusters for 10 years. And now development is you know, really done. The city's almost completely built out. And to give you a scale of really what I'm talking about, here in the city of Mountain View, Google owns or leases 95% of the office space. Here in the city of Cupertino, Apple owns or leases 85% of the office space. And now with this big movement, Google and Apple combined in the city of Sunnyvale have more than 50% of the office space. But now that Sunnyvale is done growing, where are these companies gonna to continue to move as they grow? And the answer is literally the next stop on the train, which is downtown San Jose. We've already seen Amazon and Apple uh, come to downtown and we've seen Google make a massive move into downtown. And what has happened to downtown San Jose over the last 10 years because of this tech migration? Well, from an office perspective, we've seen office rents double in the last 10 years. And at the same time, we've seen office vacancy rates, which were above 20% for over two decades, drop below 10%. And that 10% line, that is really when a market changes from a tenant market to a landlord market. To continue talking about what's happening in downtown, I want to show everyone this map of downtown San Jose. Uh, this black line represents the opportunity zone. Um, here is Urban Catalyst headquarters. We're located right in the heart of the Opportunity Zone in downtown San Jose, right next to Adobe's World Headquarters. <clears throat> Adobe has been a long time downtown San Jose tenant. They have been downtown for over 27 years. Right now, Adobe's in the process of building their fourth high-rise office tower uh, right here. Uh, here's San Jose State University. This is where BART is, is going to connect through downtown under Santa Clara Street, a couple stops downtown, and connect into Deardon Station, the, the train station. Uh, this is the SAP Center. You know, we call this the Shark Tank because this is where the San Jose Sharks play hockey. And of course, you can't miss it on this map. Here in purple, this is Google. In the last 24 months, Google has purchased over $450 million worth of property in downtown San Jose. Uh, that's over 80 acres. And their plan that they've submitted to the city is to build around seven and a half million square feet of office and 5,500 residential units. 
uh, at Buildout over the next 10 years, this will be Google's largest campus on earth with over 75,000 people coming just to their campus every day. So it's a, it's a huge move by Google to be near transit and in a place where there is room to grow. Also, I wanna point out on this map here in orange, this is Jay Paul. Jay Paul is a large office developer. And in the last 12 months, they've purchased $650 million worth of property in downtown San Jose. Their plan is to build 5 million square feet of office. And you know, here at Urban Catalyst, you know, we had an idea, which was we wanna come into downtown San Jose, we wanna acquire properties to do ground up development and really get in on the ground floor before the wave of developers and big tech companies got to downtown. And that's exactly what we did. We acquired seven projects in downtown San Jose. Um, <clears throat> we're, we're scheduled to start construction on all seven of these projects in 2021. Over here in the Deardon Station area, right next to Google, we have three projects clustered together. Uh, this is a Marriott Town Place Suites Extended Stay Business Hotel. This is a eight-story residential multifamily project. This is an, a senior living facility, and even more specifically, it's assisted living and memory care. Here in the core of downtown, we have two office projects. This is a high-rise residential project, and this is a high-rise student housing project right here next to San Jose State. So you can see we have a very diversified set of asset classes really to reduce the overall risk of our portfolio. You know, what makes Urban Catalyst different than other Opportunity Zone funds is, you know, a lot of other funds, their plan is to go out, raise a billion dollars, and then scramble around the country looking for developers to partner with that have projects in Opportunity Zones. Here in Silicon Valley, you know, we look at Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, and we say, did these guys go out and raise a bunch of money and then hire someone to build them a computer? And the answer is no, they built a computer and they took it out to the market. And that's exactly what we're doing here at Urban Catalyst. We're not just fund managers, we're also developers of all seven of our projects. And we have seven projects in our portfolio, and now we're taking those projects out to the market to raise money to build them. Also something important to mention to all potential investors into an Opportunity Zone fund is, you know, the Opportunity Zone tax benefits are, they're great. We're, we're big fans. Uh, some people have called the Opportunity Zone program, you know, a once in a lifetime tax advantage. And, you know, that's great. But what really matters when you invest into an Opportunity Zone fund is the underlying real estate. Because if the biggest benefit of the program the biggest tax benefit is that you get tax-free profits after 10 years. Well, there better be profits after 10 years or else what's the point of the entire program? So it's important to know what are the real estate assets that are in the fund and who are the developers that are building those projects because developers track record and experience is really the best indicator of future success. So here at Urban Catalyst, we look at ourselves as a solid fundamental real estate equity fund focused on ground up development and we see the Opportunity Zone tax benefits really as just the icing on the cake. Yeah, fantastic, Eric. I think this is a good time to interrupt you here before you dive into the details on your seven downtown San Jose Opportunity Zone projects. I want to interrupt you and, and get our second poll question up for our audience today. So uh, this is a question that I've been asking uh, a lot recently. So if you've been on any of my webinars previously, this one will be very familiar to you. But we were just talking about some of the benefits of opportunity zone investing, the tax incentives in particular, but you know, there's a couple others 
to keep in mind as well. There's a social impact component. And of course, there's an ROI component as well, which, which Eric was hinting at, and he's going to dive into in more detail on the second half of the presentation today. Which of the following best describes your primary motivation as an Opportunity Zone investor? If you had to pick just one, which one is, is the most important to you? The social impact component, the ROI, or is it the tax incentives? This being, as, as Eric mentioned, potentially the, uh, the, uh, the tax advantage opportunity of a lifetime. So we'll give everybody uh, just a few more seconds to vote on that. And then we're going to dive into the second half of Eric's presentation where he's going to walk you through each of the seven projects that Urban Catalyst is working on in downtown San Jose. So a uh, couple more seconds here, get your vote in. And we're going to end the poll and share the results. And it does look like, hey, look at that, Eric. We've got uh, a, a majority of people who are most interested in the ROI uh, with a, a, fair and, a fair amount of people also interested in the tax incentives and the social impact as well. Um, I would suspect that most of the attendees here are interested in at least two of the three and perhaps all three, but, but the most important one being that ROI. That's really what drives the tax uh, benefits on the back end anyway. And that's, you know, what I would expect and what I would hope, you know, when people are making investments, of course, they want to know what their return on investment is. And, you know, whenever you invest into a, a tax, a fund that has tax benefits, you don't want the tail to wag the dog, right? You don't want the tax benefits to put you into a program. You want it to be a good program that has some extra benefits with taxes. Right. Eric, please continue. Thank you. Sure. So as Jimmy mentioned, I'm now going to talk about uh, our seven projects in more detail. Uh, our first project, the Fountain Alley building, this is located in the historic area of downtown San Jose, right between 1st and 2nd Streets. It's an office project over ground floor retail. Uh, you can see we're stepping back the retail from the street so that we can have outdoor dining and really attract a quality restaurant tenant. Um, you can't miss our 5,500 square foot rooftop bar, which is going to be, when complete, the largest rooftop bar in Silicon Valley. Uh, when we announced that, we got just a ton of press. People are very excited uh, here in San Jose about rooftop bars, and they should be. You know, we, we don't have a lot of them, and we have 300 days a year of sunshine in San Jose. It's some of the best weather in the country, so we'll, we'll definitely be able to utilize that on a year-round basis. Um, also, last December, we purchased this little three-story historic building on the right. Uh, this project or this building is going to be the main entrance to our office building. So you can imagine walking into a beautiful historic facade and lobby and then taking your elevator to your modern office space. Our next project, this is the Keystone Hotel at Downtown West. Uh, this is the Marriott Town Place Suites I talked about. You know, we signed our franchise agreement with Marriott at the end of last year. Um, We've done three of these projects in our career in Silicon Valley, so we have a lot of experience with the extended stay format. And for those of you that aren't familiar with what an extended stay business hotel is, you know, typically it's for long-term stays for business um, travelers. Our average guest stays for 15 days and every single room has its own kitchen. Because of the just uptick in overall office usage in the downtown area. We've seen just an extreme amount of demand for this type of project. Of course, that was pre-COVID. You know, hotels and retail have just really been hit pretty hard uh, because of the pandemic. And we totally understand that here at Urban Catalyst. One thing to point out about this project, you know, it's not gonna come online until June of 2023. 
And by then the pandemic should have passed and we should have a more normalized uh, demand profile for uh, hospitality. So we're not concerned with uh, the timing of this project. In fact, having COVID hit now instead of uh, in 2023 is somewhat beneficial to us as uh, we're not building or leasing or uh, having rooms go into a market uh, during the pandemic. Uh, right across the street from our hotel project, this is Madeira at Downtown West. Uh, of course, all three of these projects that I'm talking about, the hotel, uh, Keystone Hotel, Madeira, and our senior living, those are the cluster of three projects that are right next to Google over in the Deerdon Station area. So this project is an eight-story building, 140 multifamily units. Uh, I personally have built 1,000 multifamily units within a half a mile of this location. So this is really right in the middle of my wheelhouse. Um, here in California, we have a housing crisis. You know, I talked earlier about how expensive it is to live, and that's absolutely true. Uh, and the reason is we just don't have enough houses for people to live in. We've been creating here in Silicon Valley five jobs for every housing unit that we've built for over 30 years. And that trend is accelerating. We literally can't build residential fast enough. So this is Urban Catalyst. Of course, we're doing our part to uh, help solve that housing crisis by building more uh, market rate multifamily here in the San Jose area. Uh, as I mentioned, right down the block from our multifamily project, this is the Delmas Senior Living Facility. This is assisted living and memory care. Uh, we've done six of these projects in our careers in Silicon Valley. We've used the same operator for all six. We're very familiar with how to design and operate this type of facility. You know, they haven't built a project like this in downtown San Jose in over 35 years. And with the aging baby boomer population, and of course, this project's proximity to some of the more affluent neighborhoods of San Jose, um, just a lot of demand for this type of project. You know, you can imagine if you lived in one of the surrounding neighborhoods and you wanted to put your parents or grandparents uh, into a building like this, you know, you're looking at a six to 12 month waiting list for a project that might be a half an hour to an hour drive away. Right in the core of downtown across the street from City Hall is our icon at Civic Center. This is a residential high rise project with some office and ground floor retail. Uh, this is Santa Clara Street. As I mentioned, Santa Clara Street is where the BART line will be running. And in fact, uh, these green awnings that are here right in front, this is the existing Starbucks. And the new portal to the underground BART station is going to be located right in front of those. So this project is literally being built next to a mass transit stop, which makes it the epitome of transit-oriented development. Of our seven projects, six of them are ground-up development projects. Uh, this one, Paseo, is our only renovation. We're changing a 12-screen movie theater into two floors of office with ground floor retail. This project is located on the Paseo de San Antonio, which is a major pedestrian connection between San Jose State and Cesar Chavez Plaza. It's located right behind the Fairmont Hotel and arguably the best office location in all of downtown. Uh, recently, two prominent San Jose restaurants that have been longtime downtown San Jose tenants moved onto the Paseo de San Antonio. And we're planning to add to that with two full service bars and restaurants as our ground floor tenants, really creating a restaurant row along the Paseo. Uh, in the upper floors of this building, you know, because it used to be a movie theater, 
our average floor to ceiling height is 24 feet. And that allows us to do some pretty special things for our future office tenant. Things like building out floating conference rooms, mezzanine levels, and catwalks that connect to our rooftop gardens. Finally, our seventh project, this is the Mark. Uh, the Mark is a student housing high rise. When it's completed, it'll be 800 student housing units. Uh, this is right next to San Jose State University. You know, San Jose State has really been going through a transformation in the last 10 years. Um, 10 years ago, it was really a commuter school where people lived at home and commuted into class. Now it's a lot more likely when you're accepted to San Jose State, you're going to move to San Jose to attend college. And, you know, you combine that with the housing crisis and it just creates a lot of demand for student housing. Over the last 10 years, the university has not built enough student housing to meet the demand. In fact, their own internal studies show they need about 6,000 student housing beds. Uh, recently, a thousand bed student housing high rise was completed about two blocks from here. It's called The Graduate. Uh, my partner, Josh Burroughs at his previous company built that high rise. So we have a lot of experience building high rise student housing right next to San Jose State. To give you an example of just how intense the demand is getting for student housing here in San Jose, there was, a, there was a survey done last year of San Jose State students, and 13% responded saying that in the previous 12 months, they had experienced homelessness. And to combat that, the university now has parking lots on campus that are designated for students to sleep in their cars. And they have uh, security guards that watch them at night to make sure that they're safe. But you can just see um, building 800 units into this market, boy, we're taking a small dent out of that demand, but really not even getting close to meeting it. Uh, it's, a, it's a big problem in San Jose, and we're, we're very pleased that we're able to, to help solve at least a portion of that problem. Uh, also with this project, we have been in conversations with San Jose State University uh, about having a partnership with them to do a master lease because having a credit tenant with a long-term lease obviously reduces the risk of a project. So those discussions are ongoing. I'm going to change gears and talk a little bit about, you know, our timeline. Uh, almost all of our investors want to know, of course, you know, how long are you raising money? When, we, when would we expect our first distributions? Uh, why are you making distributions prior to the end of 10 years? You know, what happens after 10 years? So let me go through this really quick. And of course, uh, during the Q&A session, if you have more questions, I'm, I'm very happy to revisit this. So for this fund, we're raising money in 2019 and 2020. We closed the fundraising portion of this fund on December 30th of this year. Uh, to date, we've raised almost $70 million. We're targeting raising $105 million by the end of this year. Um, I mentioned we have over 150 investors. Our minimum investment size is 250,000. And I'd say our average investment size is a little bit over 500,000. The first time we plan to give money back to our investors is part of our refinance and distribute program. And let me explain that. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of developer 101. We, we build our buildings, we lease them up, they stabilize, we go out and we get permanent financing. We take that permanent financing, we pay off the construction loan that we use to build the building, and then any excess refinance proceeds, we're able to distribute those to our investors. Right now, we're targeting distributing 80% of our investors' initial investment back to them between 2023 and 2026 as our projects come online. 
you find that that sorry to interrupt you do you find that that's particularly important given that um these investors are going to need some liquidity in april 2027 to pay their their deferred taxes You, you know jimmy i'm glad you brought that up you know that is a question that we get all the time is is investors want to have some returns to pay their taxes in 2027. They don't want to have to come out of pocket to do that. And the way that our fund is structured as a partnership, we are able to do this type of distribution, which should allow us to be able to give them enough distributions to pay their taxes in 2027. Of course, nothing is guaranteed when you're investing into um, any type of fund. Uh, Another interesting thing, Jimmy, about you know, the Opportunity Zone program in general, because of the 10-year hold to get tax-free profits, really creates a hybrid type of fund. In the first five years, we're more of a value-add fund, where we're creating value through ground-up development. In the second five years, we're more of a core fund, where we have stabilized assets, and those assets are cash flowing. So in the second half of the fund, we'll have cash flow to distribute to our investors. And you can see there where it says bracket with depreciation. So anytime you own real estate, uh, you depreciate your real estate uh, on your taxes every year. So you're able to write it off and you know it's, it's a loss, which is great because losses offset income. Uh, because we're structured as a partnership, we're able to pass through that depreciation to our investors. In fact, we're targeting having more depreciation than cash flow in the second five years of the of the fund which would make most of the cash flow that we're distributing uh, tax-free finally after 10 years you know we're going to sell all of our projects liquidate the fund and, and that's the big win for our investors that's when they receive the majority of their profits um, and that's tax-free from a federal capital gains perspective and jimmy one additional thing i wanted to mention which is um you know, we're talking about depreciation specifically for opportunity zone funds. And this came out as a part of the uh, December 2019 final round of guidelines from the Treasury and the IRS is for opportunity zone funds, we are not required to pay back that depreciation that we're taking on our buildings. And this is something that is really a great tax benefit for our investors that didn't get a ton of press, but it is really uh, important to know. Because typically when you sell real estate, you have to pay back that depreciation. For opportunity zone funds, we have no depreciation recapture. Right. Yeah, that's a huge hidden benefit. I've referred to it as uh, over the past few months here, uh, depreciation recapture elimination. Uh, you, sometimes you need to be a bit of a uh, tax geek to even understand uh, what that is exactly. The average investor might not be terribly familiar with it unless they have a lot of experience with real estate investing but it is a, an enormous benefit that you're right, doesn't really get a lot of attention. Uh, it's, it's not as big as the, as the, um, as the appreciation or the, um, the capital gains elimination on the back end, but it's, it's still a pretty sizable benefit, especially in a deal like yours, Eric, I agree. Absolutely. So now I'm gonna talk about our team here at Urban Catalyst. I formed Urban Catalyst and my plan was to create an all-star team of downtown San Jose developers. Uh, combined, we have done almost $6 billion worth of acquisition in Silicon Valley. We've done almost $5 billion worth of development projects. You can see the heavy concentration of development projects in downtown San Jose. Here are some examples of some of the projects that we've worked on throughout our careers. And I'll specifically talk about this project, 
This is the Brooklyn Basin Master Plan in downtown Oakland, just south of uh, Jack London Square on the waterfront. Uh, prior to starting Urban Catalyst, I was the president of Zarshan America. This was Zarshan's largest asset in the United States. Uh, I managed a team of 11 people. And in the five years I was there, we did roughly $200 million in infrastructure improvements to this 64-acre master plan. Uh, at build out this project will be 2,300 residential units and around 200,000 square feet of retail. Um, also while I was there, Zarshan broke ground on one of the vertical components of the project, this project here, which is a 244-unit apartment building. Uh, the total project cost for that project was $130 million. I went out and sourced financing to build this project. I got $80 million in senior debt from Bank of the West syndicated to City National Bank, and I received $37.5 million in preferred equity from Essex Property Trust. Zarshan put in the rest, and that project started construction just as I left to form Urban Catalyst. So here at Urban Catalyst, we have a philosophy that we brought with us from being developers, which is in order to do a project the right way, you have to bring in the best service providers, consultants with the expertise and experience in their specific fields. Um, here at Urban Catalyst, Goodwin Proctor is our attorney. Goodwin Proctor a very large law firm nationwide. And when I first started Urban Catalyst, there were only 10 other multi-asset opportunity zone funds operating in the United States. And Goodwin had structured over half of them. So really the go-to group uh, for structure and tax for opportunity zone funds. Uh, I also, we work with Novogratic. They are our accountants, they do our tax and audit. Um, they've really branded themselves as the opportunity zone fund accounting firm. Both Goodwin and Novogratic have members on that national working group that advise the Treasury and the IRS on any ongoing Opportunity Zone clarifications as part of the legislation. And recently, our own Sean Raft was appointed to that group, so now we really have an inside ear as to what the federal government uh, is doing and thinking about the program. Finally, NES Financial. Uh, NES Financial is our fund administrator. They monitor every dollar that goes in and out of the fund representing our fund investors, just making sure that we are not only meeting the opportunity zone guidelines and rules, we're also meeting our own private placement and our SEC regulations. So in summary, today I talked a little bit about the opportunity zone program. I talked about why we're doing business in San Jose, you know, the overall story of downtown San Jose and the market. Uh, we went through Urban Catalyst portfolio of seven projects, very diversified set of asset classes. And then finally, we talked about our team and our experience uh, doing projects as developers and fund managers. Um, and so with that, if you want more information, please visit urbancatalyst.com. Yeah, so please do visit urbancatalyst.com. And uh, you, there's, a, there's a contact page there where you can leave your information and, and Eric can get back to you with, uh, with very specific answers to those questions. Um, Eric, any final words here before we go today? Otherwise, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap it up. No, I just wanna say uh, thank you again, Jimmy, for having me on your, uh, your program here. And thank you to everyone who uh, tuned in to learn about Opportunity Zone Funds and Urban Catalyst. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you to Urban Catalyst. Thank you to Eric Hayden and your team behind the scenes who worked hard to put this together with me. And of course, uh, as Eric mentioned, thank you to all of our attendees here today. Thanks, everybody. Hey, thank you. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. 
If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.